Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Dave. Worship team, good morning, Grantham Church. Great to see all of you in worship. If you're joining us uh, for the first time, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm the senior pastor here at Grantham, and we have been in a fall sermon series called Christ and Culture following Jesus in a fallen world. In this series, we've been looking at what it means to uh, be disciples who are in the world but not of it. According to the scriptures, the church should see herself as aliens and exiles on the earth. Therefore, we must be wise, discerning children of the light as we view culture through the lenses of Christ, the scriptures, and the gospel. Each week, we've been reminding you of that with this art here on the back wall. Seeing things through the lenses, seeing culture through the lenses of Christ, the scriptures, and the gospel. If you've missed any of the messages in this series, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. The series is about applying the gospel to every area of life and using cultural discernment as we navigate the world as kingdom people. As most of you know, we've been defining culture this way. What human beings make of the world in two senses, the things that we make and the meaning that we make. The things that we make, things like art, music, literature, clothing, food, laws, gardens, architecture, technology, everything that humans make, because this produces meaning. The meaning that we make is what we communicate by what we make, because what we make says something about who we are, who we believe ourselves to be, our identity, our purpose, why we're here, what or who we worship, what we value, what is true, what is good, what is right, what is wrong, so forth and so on. As we heard last week, that culture is spread and takes hold through the stories that we tell. So we want to have hearts and minds that are saturated, you see, in the gospel story so that we can discern good from evil and truth from falsehoods about ourselves right, about our identity, our our purpose, why we're here, and about God's plan for creation and the future of the cosmos. Real quick, here are the four unhealthy postures that we don't want to adopt as we navigate culture. That is, we don't want to condemn the culture, which a lot of us grew up seeing, whether we, we either withdraw from it or we war against it, so fighting the culture wars. We critique culture, That is, we're only really interested in debating ideas or trying to argue people into the kingdom. Or we copy culture. We create this little Christian subculture and have our own kind of music. And, you know, you ever think about this, that using Christian as an adjective doesn't work well for lots of things, right? You know, Christian this, Christian that. Now, so we don't want to offer up cheap imitations and alternatives. And neither do we want to do this last one, consume culture, where we mostly mindlessly conform to whatever the world is doing 
around us. And again, if, you, if you've not been saturating your heart and your mind in the gospel, in the gospel story, in your, your life and, and heart's not being shaped by the scriptures and, a, and by the gospel itself, then you're not going to be able to discern the stories of the world and how they are in opposition uh, to the one that Jesus would have us believe. So instead of these four C's, we've said we want to do this. We want to create culture and follow Jesus by, number one, entering the culture and affirming what we can. Number two, challenging the culture, confronting its idols and its darkness. And three, appealing to its listeners. And it's important that we do it in that order, as we'll see next Sunday as we close out this series. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17, where Paul goes uh, up to the Areopagus, that's called Mars Hill. And he's going to do all three of these. So don't miss the conclusion uh, to this series next week. But today, what, what do we do if there are aspects of the culture that some disciples think is okay to affirm and others do not. Ooh, right? What do we do when there are differences of opinion on matters of the conscience? That's what I want us to think about uh, today as we look at cultural convictions of conscience. That's what I've entitled this one. You notice in the bulletin, the summary of this message says, from the very beginning of the church, there were cultural differences among followers of Jesus. As the Apostle Paul evangelized non-Jews, right, because Christianity started off as just being purely Jewish, but as the gospel spread across the empire, issues and disagreements arose between ethnic Jews and new Gentile converts. So right away, we see this clash of cultural convictions. We can read about that in Acts chapter 15, which we're not going to do today, but if you want a little bit of the story, that first story of the clash of convictions, you can see that in Acts 15. Because this still happens today. You see, disciples do not always share the same cultural convictions of conscience. So what do we do when that happens? Are you ready? All right, before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you that your spirit has been with us through this series, uh, speaking to our hearts. Lord, we open up our, our eyes and our ears. We open up our hearts to you now. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak, that you would speak very clearly to us. Remind us of your love for us and that love that we should have for one another. Holy Spirit, guide us through our differences this morning in this message. And would you give us light to see things in a different way, to see our neighbors in a different way, and specifically other brothers and sisters in Christ who are on a journey together. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. If you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to the book of Romans, we're going to turn to chapter 14 and read there here in just a few minutes. Romans chapter 14. Before we get to that, I want to give you a, a little bit of an overview of the book of Romans because I think that is important. To understand what Paul is going on about in chapter 14, you need to understand the chapters which came before it. That makes sense, doesn't it? 
We've already been in Romans a little bit in this series. In chapter one, we were there a couple weeks ago. So I'm gonna just summarize each little section here that you see or chapter in the book of Romans so you can see the flow of it leading into chapter 14. Uh, Chapters one, verse 18 through 32, we could summarize that part of the letter by, by hearing Paul say that we are lost in sin unless God steps in, now that didn't mean for that to rhyme, it just did. We're lost in sin unless God steps in to save us. And then chapter two, verse one through chapter three, verse eight, the law, Paul will say, can't save us, right? It had a, it had a purpose, there was a reason for it, and that was for it to magnify our sin, but it cannot save us. And then chapter three, verse nine through 26, Paul is going on about this. God's salvation comes through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that it is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that God is formed and is forming a new humanity. Principally, that is the joining together of Jew and Gentile, right? That, that all of the earth is the Lord and God cares and wants all parts of humanity to be involved in this, this new work he's doing in this family. And then chapter four, because again, Paul wants to connect the dots between the Old Testament story and the New Testament story. He says, you know, God always wanted a faith-based, multi-ethnic, multicultural family going back to Abram or Abraham, Father Abraham as we know him. And then chapters five through eight, Paul talks about how sin and death came through the one man, Adam, but that love and life has come through Jesus. That Jesus is the true human being, that Jesus shows us what God really wants for human kind, what we were, we were destined to be. Chapters 9 through 11, again, to connect that story, the Jewish story with this New Testament story, Paul points out that Israel's rejection actually fulfilled God's purposes, and he's not stopped loving the Jewish people. In fact, a lot of the Jewish people were becoming Christians, so there you go. And in the last chapters of this letter, Romans chapters 12 through 16, we have this pastoral and practical application where Paul is connecting dots to what they're experiencing there in the fellowship of the Roman church. He's going to say that Jews and Gentiles must be unified through love despite their cultural convictions, despite their differences. And specifically chapters 14 and 15, Paul is addressing specific divisions between Jews and Gentiles that were causing issues in the Roman church. And we're gonna see that as we read Romans 14. So I just want you to be aware of that when he talks about food issues or uh, strict observance of holy days. Think about this, you've got Jews who would abide by the law even after becoming Christians. And you also had not only the kosher laws with food, but you had meat. In order to get meat in that day, you had to go to the local pagan temple. The local pagan temple was like the meat market. Now that meat has been offered to pagan deities. Some in the early church said that to actual demons. And so you've got some Christians that are saying, no, no, you shouldn't eat that meat. And then other Christians are saying, oh, it's just meat, it's fine. In fact, Paul, you'll see, he'll say that. He doesn't have a problem with it, but some do. So what do we do do then? And then also with this strict observances of holy days, some wanted to observe a strict liturgical calendar and some did not want to do that. 
we'll hear Paul address both of these. I mean, notice that both matters are what we would call non-essential issues of the faith. Non-essential issues. What do we mean? Well, we've used this graphic here at Grantham in a previous series, Christ the Center. You'll, you'll look there. I'll give you a second to take some of that in. Some of you have seen this. Others may not have. We've got this concentric circles graphic with Jesus himself in the center. Jesus as revealed in the New Testament. And then notice the rings as they go out. We have dogma, we also refer to as confessions. We have doctrine, which we could call our convictions. And then opinion, which we also feel convicted about, but we'll say these are issues of conscience. Right, this helps us to distinguish between essential and non-essential matters. Our confessions about Jesus, who God is, what the gospel is, how we define the gospel, those things are central and they are supreme. And so we would say those are non-negotiables. Those are, those are matters of dogma. And then our convictions related to life and faith based on the Bible and, and depending on what denomination that you're in, the tradition that you've grown up in, they are, they, they are important in helping define the distinctives of that particular tradition. And the problem comes when we elevate those distinctives into dogma and we become elitists and we judge other people who worship and think a little differently than us. And Paul will speak to that as well here in the book of Romans. Don't do that. <laughs> That's what he'll say. Matters of conscience or opinion, notice that outer ring, includes all those things which, which don't, we don't have either explicit teaching or maybe there's lots of disagreement and debate about. We don't have clear guidance from the scriptures and we can vary, which can vary from person to person and culture to culture. Now I know there's a little bit of overlap, especially between opinion and doctrines, but still I think Paul is going to help us to navigate that in Romans 14. And this is really important to understand when we're talking about our individual journeys and the differences that we have when we're all seeking Jesus together. And this is how you'll, you'll notice the bottom left-hand uh, picture there on that graphic is the picture that we've used for the centered church. Here's how we've defined the centered church, which we want to seek to be here at Grantham. So on a spectrum, we have the bounded church. You can think of the Pharisees. They draw clear lines of who is in and who is out. And then the opposite of that, because we're all into extremes in American culture, is the fuzzy church, where there are no real clear boundaries because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. And that is the opposite extreme. A centered church, rather, is a church that discerns who belongs to the group by observing people's relationship with the center, Jesus Christ. So notice the cross represents Jesus in the middle. You've got people that are coming from all different directions in life. And notice the arrows indicate what their heart is oriented to. So you may have people that are coming every Sunday that seem to be pretty involved in the church, but their hearts are not really oriented toward Jesus. Jesus isn't driving their life. They may be there for other reasons, but it isn't necessarily Jesus being central and supreme. So this group includes all who are oriented toward the center. So we're not drawing lines, but we are recognizing whose heart is oriented toward Christ and whose 
isn't. I think that's so important because when you're going to see today is you have differences of opinion on matters of conscience, differences of opinion when it comes to cultural convictions. You're going to need to look past what you may not like to the heart. Is, are, is this person and is their heart oriented toward Jesus or are they living for themselves in the flesh? Because I think that really matters in how we respond to what we see. We're all struggling in one way or another. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, right? But is our heart oriented toward Jesus or not? That will depend on how we respond to people who are living in sin. So is there a common direction bringing unity? It ought to in the centered church. There's space to struggle and fail because they believe that everyone is in process in the centered church, moving closer and closer to the center. So those in a centered church must work to discern if a person's heart, as I said, is oriented toward Christ or if it's oriented toward their flesh and just doing what they want and they don't care what you think or what the church says or what the Bible says. And tell the difference, this is key, be able to tell the difference between dogma, doctrine, and matters of conscience and opinion. Because as we're going to see this morning in Romans 14, Paul is going to say that there are those, if you're familiar with this chapter, you've heard this, there are those who have strong faith, remember this, and those whose faith is weak. Now, you might think, well, Paul's just saying that the strong faith, because that's the side he's on, and that's how he believes about the issue, so his faith is strong. But I think what Paul is doing here is saying, if you want to know whose faith is weak and strong, those whose faith are strong are those who can tell the difference between matters of dogma, doctrine, and opinion, and those who can't. And it really is also a matter of maturity in the faith and immaturity in the faith. It's those who are able to discern the difference, remember this, the difference between essential and non-essential issues that according to the Apostle Paul have strong faith. Before we read Romans 14 together and hear about the disagreements they were having over non-essential matters, let's think about some of our own cultural convictions, because I, I want us to have those on our mind when we read Romans 14 and just insert them into the text, okay? So here are some cultural convictions. A clashing of cultural convictions in the church today. You could probably think of some others, or we could unpack each and every one of these, but here's some that I think that uh, you'll resonate with and say, yep, yep, I've seen that before. I've grown up with that issue. Let's start with this one, alcohol. Is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? Now, we, we clearly have scriptures that say we shouldn't get drunk. We shouldn't live lives of drunkenness, but we have other texts like Jesus changing water to wine? What do we do with that? You know, I know I've told that joke several times before, but I'm going to tell it again. Uh, right? It's the old, the old folks in the Sunday school class at the Baptist church were arguing about this, and, and one person said, well, you know, Jesus turned water to wine, and they said, yeah, well, we really wish he hadn't have done that, you know? Um, but th this this points out an issue that it was very real for many of us growing up in the church. And look, I've been pastoring Grantham for six years. It's not a non-issue. It's still, it's still an issue for a lot of folks. Then there's tobacco. Should Christians smoke or not smoke, right? Would Jesus smoke? 
cherry-flavored tobacco pipe. You know, would he do that or not? People are going to disagree about this. Uh, cuss words. Are there bad words? Is it ever okay to use cuss words? Does it depend upon the company that you're with? Is it all right in private? Christians are going to have different opinions about this. What about clothing? Those who are what we call cradle bix, right? they've been in the Brethren of Christ their whole life will remember this one. Clothing was once a really big deal. You had to dress in a very strict sort of way to distinguish you from the rest of the world. It said that you're different, right? That you're not like the world. We might ask a, a more relevant question today with, you know, is it okay for women to wear very revealing clothes? And so you're going to have Christians who disagree about these kinds of things. What about music? Can Christians listen to secular music? All secular music? What about, what about Nicki Minaj or Miley Cyrus? Or if you're Generation X, what about Tupac or Snoop Dogg or Marilyn Manson? Is everything okay? Does, does their lifestyles matter? Do the things that they're singing about matter? Christians are going to differ on some of this. What about TV and movies? Some, some would say you don't ever watch rated R movies. Some would say you can watch rated R movies if it's just language, but not sexual content or nudity. And some people are like, I don't really even think about it. I'm just consuming the culture. What about video games? And Mario Brothers is okay, but these shooter games, you know, maybe that's not okay. Christians are going to differ on that. Social media, is it healthy? If so, how much? What about teens using TikTok? Dating, do we believe in American dating? If so, do we believe in boundaries? We just accept whatever the world is doing in, in dating, because that, 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 that's become the norm. What about marriage roles? You're going to find this, even in this church, Christian families having different opinions in their home, some of them operating off a complementarian mindset, some off an egalitarian mindset. Parenting, should everyone parent like you? And if they don't, we judge them. Sexuality, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable? Education, public, private, or homeschool? And are we going to judge those who differ and opinions with us. Vaccines. <laughs> we know we, we've just come out of this one. We're kind of still there. Do we trust the science? What about those who have legitimate concerns? You know, I could flash a couple of advertisements up for you of your doctor holding a camel cigarette and says, your doctor recommends you smoke camels. And back then they would have said, trust the science. Now I'm all for science, folks. Don't get the wrong idea. And I'm not typically a conspiracy theorist, but maybe we should pump the brakes a little bit and say maybe some folks have legitimate concerns when medicine is in bed with pharmaceutical companies. You know, at least say, you know, I can understand. I might not agree with you, but I can understand on all of these things, right? Not just vaccines. Medicine, some would say go straight for the meds, others would try to use natural methods. Politics, oh, pick your issue. There's immigration, gun control abortion rights, foreign policy. So I want you to think about this and maybe ones that you're kind of really living with. And let's be honest, things that you have a, a, a difficult time on these matters of conscience, giving grace to someone else over. I want you to bring this into Romans 14. Let's go there now. Look at Romans chapter 14. Real quickly, I'm gonna read through this 
entire chapter here. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along in whatever translation that you have. I think it's sometimes good to do. You can compare the English translations and get a little nuance. And sometimes it'll make it a little bit more clear for you. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. So we, we know about the flow of this letter and now he gets to this practical pastoral application dealing with specific issues. For them it's food laws, for them it was strict observance of holy days, but for us it could be a whole number of things, so bring those into the text. Paul says, accept other believers who are weak in faith. Remember, they can't tell the difference between what's essential and what's not. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, let's hear what Paul is saying. He's not saying you can't have healthy conversations about these matters. Some of us Anabaptists need to hear this who think that confrontation itself is bad. Confrontation's coming. Confrontation's part of being human. We need to work through confrontation in healthy ways. We need to be able to talk about difficult issues but do it in healthy ways. So Paul is not saying when you, when you encounter difficult issues or disagreements, don't talk about it. That's not what he's saying. Look what he says. Don't argue about it. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. You insert your cultural conviction there. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. Now, isn't this so countercultural? Isn't this radical? I mean, you see, do you see this happening much in the world? Do you see this happening much in American culture? I should think not. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. In other words, God has accepted them. Why aren't you? Hmm. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. Now, folks, hear this. There's so much freedom in this. There's so much freedom in this when you know that you are ultimately not responsible for how someone else lives. You are ultimately not responsible for what they believe. You, you, are, not the, you are not a heresy hunter. You're not the doctor and police. Jesus has not asked you to be. Remember, there's a, a church in the book of Revelation where he's, he commends them for their zeal and for their passion, but they have forsaken their first love. Why? Because they had gone off this, this road of heresy hunting and, and trying to purify everybody's thinking and their beliefs in the church. And you've forsaken your first love. That's what Jesus said. I hear Paul saying something similar. The Lord is their master. Leave them to the Lord. Do you trust the Holy Spirit to do a better job than you? That's what I hear him saying. They will stand and receive God's approval or, or not. Verse 5, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day. Right? Some are abiding by that liturgical calendar. Some are not. While others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Now, notice what Paul's about to say. What matters is really your conscience. Are you obeying your conscience? And are you obeying the Holy Spirit? Those who worship the Lord on a special day, why do they do it? They do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food, why do they do it? Well, hopefully it's to honor the Lord, not try to make other people happy since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse certain, to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and they give thanks to God 
For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Notice, Christ died, Paul says, and he rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. You're not the Lord of them. I hear Paul saying this. You're not the Lord of them. Jesus is Lord. Do you trust them with Jesus? So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 11, for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you'll not cause another believer to stumble and fall. You just get that image right of throwing something in front of somebody so they'll trip up and fall. That's what we do when, you, when we argue these matters of conscience and we think down on other believers. Verse 14, I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in of itself is wrong to eat. Now what's Paul saying? He says on the authority of the Lord Jesus. There's a couple times in his letters he does this. One other time in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he says, I don't have a word from the Lord on this. And what's he mean? It means that we, do, we don't have, at that time, Paul's saying, we don't have an oral tradition that Jesus said something specific to this. But what does he say here? Jesus said something specifically about this. What did he say? In Matthew 15, verse 11, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out of their mouth well, that was radical when Jesus said this in the company of Pharisees. It's not what goes into a person that defiles them, right? Because again, it was a matter of their eating. The disciples weren't washing their hands before they ate, and they were very mad at Jesus, their rabbi, for this. He says, you need to change your thinking. You need to change your thinking. It's not what goes into a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of their mouth. This is what Paul means. But if someone believes that it's wrong, look at that, then for that person, it's wrong. Hmm. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Whoa. Man, does that fly in the face of American culture. Look at what Paul said. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Now, insert again whatever that cultural conviction is for you. Don't let your blank ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. Why? You'll be a nice person to be around. Don't be a self-righteous jerk. Don't talk bad and look down on other people. I hear Paul saying this. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat, over what you, right, blank, fill in the blank. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. Right? If you're in the presence of someone who has different convictions and you know it, 
Don't go around touting your freedom. I'm free in Jesus. And overlook their fragile faith. That's what Paul is saying. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. But if you should have doubts, look at this, about whether or not you should eat something, right? You're doubting it yourself. Look at what Paul says. You're sinning if you go ahead and you do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Now, I do like the New International Version here, verse 23, that last part. It says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Oh, that we would hear these words from Paul when we have a clashing of our own cultural convictions. Let's sum up what Paul is saying with these three points. Here's what we just read. Now, I grew up Southern Baptist, so I, I guess I had to pick three. So that's kind of the thing here. Three, three points to sum it up. Number one, I hear Paul saying this, follow the convictions that God has given you personally. I do want us to think about that. Convictions, how do we get them? It shouldn't be by watching Fox News. It shouldn't be by watching MSNBC or CNN or take your pick, right, of, of news outlets. It should come through the reading of Scripture, through prayer, through conversation with brothers and sisters in Christ, and through reflection. And I've noticed, again, speaking from personal experience, if you're doing this all the time, you don't have a lot of space for reflection. You know, that's the kind of problem that not just adults are having, but especially young people and teenagers. And this just adds to the stress and to the anxiety, right? We need some times in our day to put that, that thing aside, put it nicely. Times to think, times to hear the voice of God and reflect on our own convictions and beliefs. Again, number one there, remember, we're all at different places in the journey, amen? We're all at different, our arrows, they may be pointed to Jesus, but we're at different places in the journey. And you're responsible for what the Spirit has convicted you about through prayer, through Bible reading and worship, not anything else. Number two, I hear Paul saying this about our cultural convictions of conscience. Do not judge those who have different convictions. Don't judge them. Be humble and respectful as you believe the best about others. And you know, I've noticed and I said this to our, our, our staff this past week, is, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise as pastors. Sometimes we deal with some difficult people. And you know, when you, and you encounter those difficult people and if you're only just seeing them on Sunday morning, then you're not spending intimate space, time with them, not having private conversations with them, not taking them to coffee or doing lunch with them, not hearing their story. It's a whole lot easier just to brush them off and say they're just a problem person. Boy, they get under my skin and my nerves. I just wish they'd go away. I wish, oh God, do, you know, snuff them out, you know, whatever. <laughs> but when you get to know people and you listen to their experience, it, it, it does change your perspective. You ever noticed that? And then you, it kind of humbles you because you're like, you know, I got a lot of problems too. 
The Lord never seems to run out of his supply of mercy and grace and patience for me. So look deeper to the heart of a person, if you can. Look deeper to the heart of a person. Prayerfully discern if their heart is aimed at Christ, the center. And also, hey, be open to being wrong. Be open to being wrong. You know, the times, I, I've noticed this, I'll give you a couple examples, but I don't want to step on anybody's cultural conviction toes here. Um, the times that I've, I've felt most sure and confident and sometimes even a little arrogant and cocky was right at the moment when the rug comes out from underneath my feet and God changes my perspective and convictions. So watch it. Just saying. I, I, oh, be open to being wrong. God may be trying to show you something new. Lastly, number three, to sum up what Paul has said in Romans 14, don't be a stumbling block to others. Be a stepping stone to greater love, charity, and spiritual growth. Isn't that what you want from others? Let's be that for others. You see, healthy conversation, authentic relationships are the best way to handle our differences. And it's the lack of those things that has our country in the mess that it's in. Enough of the isolating, enough of the just, oh, I'll show them, send. Get to know your neighbor. Listen to their story. See if their heart is aimed at Christ. And if their heart isn't aimed at Christ and they're living in sin, then Paul would tell us to gently and kindly and humility and, and, and watching yourself so that you don't fall, seek to bring them back into the fellowship and into the fold. Healthy conversations and authentic relationships, they're the best way to handle our differences. And, and I hope, and our Peace and Social Justice Commission has talked about this, especially want to live into being third way, and what that means and what that looks like as we're on that journey, to give us some practical tools and how to do that, right? Especially as we see 2024 approaching, and it's going to come sooner than any of us want. How to have healthy conversations with people in our families, with people in our church. Finally, let's hear these words from Paul in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Taking everything that we've heard this morning, listening to Paul in Romans 14, now listen to what he says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, because he's writing this letter from prison, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. What calling is that? You have the calling of Jesus to continue his work. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, long-suffering, another way to put that, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort, the, the Greek word there is to keep watch, to guard, right? So that we have unity and peace, not a false unity, but one where Christ is at the center and our hearts are oriented toward him. Notice why Paul brings up our faith. There's one body, there's one spirit, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who's over all, through all, and in all. 
And remember the words of Jesus, church. In John 13, 35, he said, the whole world will know you're my disciples by the way you what? Love one another. Don't let there be any doubt what that means. You know, it's, it's not like what, it's not like what I've heard before. David, where in love your enemies? You say we can't kill them. Folks, let love be defined by Jesus. Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet. And he said, the whole world will know that you belong to me by the way you love like this. And then John 17, verse 21, that final prayer before he was arrested and crucified, the thing that Jesus prayed for us, he said, not just for my disciples today, but those who will believe in me in the future. He said that they would be one as you and I, Father, are one. The last prayer of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when our cultural convictions clash, and they will, right? They will, because we're all on a journey of living out our faith and growing in Jesus. We must meet people where they are and love them there. Why? Because that is what the Lord does with you. So let's extend that same kindness to others. Amen? Amen. As we bring this message to close, here's some questions for reflection and response. Number one, think about your own convictions. What do you feel really strongly about? What just irks you and gets on your nerves when people disagree with you on those matters of opinion and conscience? Now ask yourself this, have those convictions been shaped by Christ, the scriptures, and the gospel? Number two, do you judge others who have different convictions? You might add, do you realize that harms the church, including yourself? And then lastly, number three, how is God inviting you this morning to be more loving, humble, and patient with others as you keep the unity of the Spirit? And, and folks, what would a change of heart and behavior look like for you to be able to look at your life and see that you're taking steps in this direction? Oh, that we would hear the Holy Spirit say that. Or as uh, another person put it, in the essentials, let there be unity. In the non-essentials, let there be freedom and in all things, love. Let us love like that. Let us be known for that love. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we know that we're going to encounter a clash of cultural convictions. And God, we know that these matters, while they might be matters of opinion or conscience, they're not unimportant, they are important. Some of these issues are really important. God, you've called us to remember this morning what it means to recognize the essentials and the non-essentials, to what it means to look deep into a person's heart and to determine whether or not their heart is oriented toward you or the flesh. And that's just where they are on the journey, as we are all on a journey. Lord, would you so overwhelm us with your love and your mercy and your grace and your patience for each of us? 
God, that it would come more naturally and organically to extend that same love, mercy, and grace, and patience to others. Lord Jesus, thank you for your patience with your church. Now empower us to do what you've called us to do. For it's in Christ's name that we pray.